So we've talked about unity before uh, at several different levels. We know that uh, if you've ever been in the military, you know the importance of working as a team, working in oneness to a particular goal and objective. Uh, if you've been played, participated in sports, you know the importance of the players playing as one unit. You have one goal. Yeah, someone in some sports may get paid more, they may get more accolades, but the goal is to win. The goal is to win that battle that you're involved in. The same with the military. Military guys will tell you they fight for God and country, but they fight for that brother or sister that's next to them. And so it's a team effort. And the history of this country speaks to unity. You know, we live in what some people have written and called the American experiment. You know, our nation in the scheme of history is a very, very young nation. We're not that old. As a nation, we're unique because from the beginning, we have intentionally brought people from all walks of life, from every nation, from different walks of life, and we've called them to be under the banner of one flag. And intentionally, with the different backgrounds, we make up a nation that we call the United States of America. And the people will pledge allegiance to one single flag, despite their uniqueness, despite their backgrounds. And in this nation, we don't ignore the uniqueness or the backgrounds. 
However, we always have been sought to be in unity. So what the American experiment represents from culture, from a cultural and historical and geographical perspective is to the nation as the church of Jesus Christ was meant to be to the King of Kings and the Lord of hosts. People with different backgrounds, different cultures, and different perspectives, all pledging allegiance to the cross. And we see this in 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, beginning in the 12th verse, where the writer writes of the body of Christ and how we are one and how we need each other and how we are different parts, but we have one goal. And then if you look at the 12th chapter of Revelation, beginning in the 9th verse, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. God brings unity to his people. Just as he brought unity to Jesus Christ in himself and the oneness that they had. The Old Testament and the New Testament has a lot of weight in the scriptures that lies in the direction of fellowship and never on separation. The love of Christ for us demonstrates a visible need for unity. The same unity Jesus had with his father. So often we want everyone to be the same, think the same, and speak the same. On the other hand, we have seen in this day and age the desire and the direction of certain groups and individuals to go in different directions and separate from one another. In the unity of love, we are to become like Christ in all things which unify us in the oneness of Christ. So how do we become unified? Well, let's go back to sports just for a minute. First of all, you have to have a little bit of ability to play the game. And we all have that through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and through repentance and faithful obedience. We are children of God. We are on his team. So we have that ability. You also have to know the rules God's word lays those rules out to us. And you have to know your opponent. You have to know something about your opponent. And we should know a great deal about our opponent. We must approach this challenge in true humility, compassion, consideration, and unselfishness. We must approach it in unity. Just as we should approach our problems and circumstances, our work, and our differences in love for one another. John 15, 12 says, love one another as I have loved you. You see, we are seeking one goal, and that goal is to bring glory to God. It's in our DNA to do that. We have the ability to do that. But so often we are playing like in the minor leagues and not in the big leagues, and we do that because we're comfortable where we are. You see, there's less pressure playing at a lower level. People expect less of us. We compare ourselves to those that are around us and not to the goal that we should be setting for ourselves, which is 
on his team. With this attitude of thinking, we are thinking of ourselves and not of God's purpose for us. It is our response that gets us to the big leagues. We have that responsibility to play, to worship at a higher level. So much of the burden is upon our shoulders. And if you look at Zechariah 1.3, it reads, So tell the people, this is what the Lord of hosts says. Return to me. This is the declaration of the Lord of hosts. And I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. So first thing we need to consider is if we have drifted away from where we should be. And is our focus on him or is it on the world and our life that we live day to day? His call is to return to him. God promises if we return to him, he will renew the relationship that we have with him. James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And in Matthew 7, 7, it guarantees that if we seek God, we will find him. Your life here, and for sure your eternal life, rests upon your response and your desire to experience God. Not to just know who God is. Not to understand some of his ways, but to experience him in your life. That you are working with him and that you are seeing him at work around you. What dis- disunites man from God also disunites man from man. J.C. Ryle wrote, Unity without the gospel is a worthless unity. It is the very unity of hell. Ecclesiastes 4.10 says, if they, For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to the one who is alone when he falls and has no other to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm But how can one keep warm alone? And although a man might prevail against one man who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. We are to be in unity with one another, and we are to be in unity with that third cord, which is Jesus Christ. And 1 Peter 3.8 says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, and a tender heart and a humble mind. We are to be in oneness with one another as the body of Christ, as I said before, as Jesus was in oneness with his Father. I want to get into the 133rd Psalm here, just the first three verses. But there's a lot of symbolism in there, and I'm not a guy that um, early in my years cared anything about symbolism. Many of you may remember your high school days where you uh, had to read Shakespeare. And you may have read Macbeth. Well, to me, Shakespeare was weird. Uh, I believe he was uh, ahead of his time. He was the early Stephen King with some of the stuff that he wrote. I mean, with knives floating in the air and people doing all kinds of weird things. It just struck me as being strange. But then in the, I guess the 11th grade, somewhere along in there, as a 16, 17-year-old <clears throat> young man, we read Macbeth. 
And so as we were going over Macbeth, we have an English teacher who was obviously an English major, and she's asking some of these questions. And so I'm an athlete, right? I'm not ever going to be an English major. I struggle with where a comma goes in sentences that you write and things like that. So I'm sitting there, and as she's talking about the symbolism in Macbeth, I'm just going, so what? Who cares? And so she says, can someone tell me what the rose symbolizes in Macbeth? And why did he use the rose? And me, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, who cares? In fact, maybe he did it because he liked roses. And so as only God can do, the teacher goes, Terry, what do you think? And I know that the response, I don't care, is not good. So the second response I had was, well, uh, maybe he liked roses better than daisies. To which the smart girls in the class snickered. And I'd like to be able to say they think, man, I'm glad he's good looking because he's as dumb as a rock. But the other athletes that were sitting in there thought, good answer. I like that. And the teacher gave me grace because she immediately picked on somebody else. She didn't even respond to what I said. She just moved on and thinking, you know, just hope your batting average goes up, son. So we're going to talk about the 133rd Psalm, the first three verses, and we're going to talk about the symbolism in it this morning. And so stay with me because you're going to see that God is talking about unity. And he's talking about the blessings of being in the body of Christ and being one. So Psalms 133 verse 1 says, How good and pleasant is it when brothers live together in unity. You see, the 133rd Psalm tells us three things about living together in unity. It tells us the goodness of living together, and it tells us the source of living together in unity, and it tells us of the blessing of living together in unity. The goodness of living in unity is both good and pleasant. Now, sometimes things can be good for God's pleasure, but we may think it's not really a pleasure. You see, it's really not pleasant when God's purpose is being fulfilled and he's got us on the wheel and he is remolding us. So it may be good, but for us, we may decide it's not pleasant. So the word translated in the text means, when it says good, means excellent, agreeable, and beneficial. In other words, this unity, as I said before, is sometimes good in God's sight, but we may question, say, God, I really didn't like that. Well, it was probably because we were out of whack to start off with. The psalmist says in the Hebrew Bible, it starts, Behold, look, marvel at what I'm about to describe to you. The church is everywhere represented as one because of the influence of the one spirit that's within us. We should face the same direction toward common goals and interest. We should not have to be told that we need to be one in Christ. We should not have to be told that because if we are believers, we should be expected to do that. Ephesians 4, 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all things and through all and in all. 
That should be burned into our heart. There is one God. And we are his children. Many believers work through denominational and doctrinal systems as Christians. And usually it's one that they finally feel comfortable with. God calls us, especially during these times, to work with all people who have different backgrounds, different doctrines, races, different ages, and different churches. We are to demonstrate the power of unity of the body of Christ. We share the good news in different ways, but always for the glory of God. We approach and share in love as the Holy Spirit leads and guides us. It is never about individuals. The change comes from the risen Christ as the Holy Spirit moves among believers and non-believers. And we've talked about how in this day and age, people really care less about truth than they care more about emotions now. And so we have to address issues differently. And just simply saying that's what God says and that's the truth, sometimes we have to look and say things a little different as we appeal to their understanding. Billy Graham said, Jesus prayed for unity among believers. God who wills man's unity in Christ is a God of variety. So often we want everyone to be the same, to think and speak and believe as we do. Many scripture passages could be called to witness that the love is the real key to Christian unity. How much better would marriages be today if we just learn to be obedient to the need to be unified? Everybody has their personal opinions, and we're all different, but we have been drawn together in oneness in marriage. So I'll say to you guys, as soon as you learn to say, yes, dear, anything for the one I love, man, it works a lot better for you. So why can't we learn to say yes to our God, anything to the one I love and that loves me? The book of Acts describes the early church and its remarkable unity. Acts 2 tells us that they were devoted to themselves and to the teachings of the apostle and to the fellowship of breaking of bread and praying together. All believers were together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor among all the people. We learned then about the goodness and the pleasantness of unity. Chuck Swindoll wrote, I cannot even imagine where I would be today were it not for a handful of friends who have given me a heart full of joy. Let's face it, friends, other believers, make life a lot more fun. It's also appropriate for us as believers because we are brother and sisters together in Christ. Again, in the 133rd Psalm, we read, how good and pleasant is it when brothers live together in unity? You see, the people that first had this psalm revealed to them were relatives of each other. They were descendants of a common father, and we share the same God as father now, and that makes us family. Yet even brothers and sisters don't always agree, do we? In fact, 
Sometimes as siblings, we just want to see if we can irritate the other one. I never quite understood that, but I will tell you I participated in that. Sometimes we get angry with each other and we get disappointed in one another. But we need to work together to overcome disagreements and always love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. So often we see people that are believers get mad at something that happens within the church and they leave the church and they refuse to go back to the church rather than trying to work through things, understand things, to ask God, what are you doing in this situation and how can I join you in this situation? Hebrews 13.1 tells us as believers, Keep on loving each other as brothers. Again, so many other scriptures refer to us loving one another. So Psalms 133 verse 2 says, It is precious oil poured out on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. So these verses tell us the source of unity. The psalmist tells us that living together in unity is like oil poured down on Aaron's beard. Poured onto his head, running down on his beard. And like the dew of Hermon following on Mount Zion. Notice the downward movement here. The blessing comes from above and is poured down on us. God is the source of living together in unity. It does not come from the world. And look at the value of the oil. It's described as precious. The word precious translated here is the same as good in, the, in verse 1. It is excellent, agreeable, and beneficial. It is pleasing in God's sight. The oil is also a picture of hospitality and refreshment. It is abundant. It flows down his beard and onto his robe. The fifth verse of the 23rd Psalm says this. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. The fact that this oil is described as precious tells us the special fellowship that we have with God and with one another. This fellowship is sacred because it is between us and God. The pouring of the oil also points to Christ. Ephesians 5 tells us that Christ is the head and therefore our unity is founded in him. The high priest robe and the twelve tribes of Israel sewn into it. The oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. We have learned that God poured his, his Holy Spirit on us and that we are the body of Christ. The sacred anointing oil had the sweet smell of fragrance. And oh, what a sweet, sweet smell of fragrance do we have in a spirit-anointed fellowship of his church. As I said earlier, the verse also reads, it was the dew of Hermon falling upon Mount Zion. Mount Hermon was in the northern part of Israel and stood about 9,000 feet above sea level. It was known for its cool nights, heavy dew, and in the winter it had snow, and the areas surrounded this mountain stay lush and green all summer. Compared to Mount Zion, which is in the southern part of Israel, much smaller, about 2,400 feet above sea level, It has little dew, little rain, and any moisture during this, very little moisture during the summer months. Two vastly different mountains. How amazing would it be for the dew of the first mountain to fall on the Mount Zion? 
which is what happens in the fellowship of the church. The word falling here is the same translation as used by the psalmist in the running down of the oil on Aaron's head. Once again, God's blessing of unity comes down from heaven for us. It is something we receive from above, and without it, we are like the dry land around Mount Zion. The fact that Scripture unites the two mountains by the dew image reminds us that the body of Christ is united in him and that we are one. It is the unity that crosses all human boundaries and divisions. Galatians 3.28 reads, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We are one and we have a special unity through Christ and the Holy Spirit. So we've heard about the goodness of living in unity and the source of living in unity. Let's hear for a moment about the blessing of living in unity. The third verse, for the Lord bestows his blessing even life forevermore. This part of the verse 3 teaches a couple of vital truths. God gives his blessings where believers live together in unity, work together in unity as a foretaste of heaven. Verse 3 says God bestows his blessings. The word bestows here literally means, and in some translations, the word uses God commands. As believers in unity, when God commands his blessings, guess what's going to happen? You're going to get those blessings. We know that whatever God commands is going to take place. God has guaranteed to place his blessings where we are in unity. And again, it's the symbol of the two mountains that were talked, talked about before. In other words, when we meet with God in worship and worship in unity, God bestows his blessings upon us. It's a promise from God. Living in unity is a foretaste of the heavens. Second Corinthians 1 says, Now it is God who anointed us and put his spirit in our hearts and has deposited a guarantee of what is to come. As dew gives life to the vegetation around it, so God's blessings gives, gives us life eternal. But unlike the dew that passes away in the morning, God's blessings last forever. Unity is oneness for the purpose and the glory of God Almighty. Psalms 133, verses 1 through 3. I want to encourage you guys to pray over and see what God is speaking to you. You see, Pearson writes, there has never been a spiritual awakening in any country, a locality, that did not first begin with united prayer. And so as we so often pray for this nation, we should pray for unity of his church. And you should pray for how you can become more involved in his church and help bring unity to the body of Christ. The rose... In Macbeth, yes, I understand it now. 
The petals of the rose are soft to the touch. The fragrance of the rose is sweet. But the stem of the rose has thorns on it and can be painful. Thus life is that way. There are parts of life that are just wonderful to us. The sweet fragrance to us. But there are parts of life that we go through that are painful. But if we go through it in unity and we go through it walking with God who promises to be with us always, we know that he's going to protect us. And this life here is temporary. And it is the life eternal that we seek. Romans 12.1 says, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a, as a living Sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual worship. Just as in the Old Testament our sacrifice once offered, we cannot reclaim it. We belong entirely to him. There is no partial sacrifice of your life. Your life is no longer your own. God wants us to live in unity with one another for his purpose, sharing his love, grace, forgiveness, and mercy. Let me read these first three verses in in entirety. Psalms 133, beginning in verse 1. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil upon the head coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard coming down upon the edge of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded The blessings live forever. Picture the blood of Jesus Christ. That precious blood. As that oil coming down, anointing you and falling on your head. So I encourage you to be in prayer this week. As to how you can be part of the body of Christ. We welcome you to do so many things here at Calvary, but we also welcome when God moves you to bring something new that we haven't done before. So we should be in prayer for one another. 